Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask you a blessing upon, upon the scriptures this morning. Father God, we come before you and acknowledge that you alone can make these words live. Lord, you alone can break the, the word as, as the bread of life. You are the word, and Lord, you are the word made flesh. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to, to examine the scriptures, I pray that you would minister to us, that there would be an impartation, not of anything that man says, but Lord, that your, your word would speak powerfully into our heart and into our spirit. We need to be guided by the counsel of the, uh, of the word of God, Lord. We cherish it and we hold it dearly. And so we pray your blessing upon everything that's said and done, Lord. Uh, we ask you, you would anoint this time in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I, if you want a title for this, it's Jesus is God. Amen? Can you say, you want a title? Amen. We're off to a good start then. Yeah. Okay. You know, ever since uh, creation, millions and even billions of people uh, have been born and lived on earth. But only a very insignificant few have ever made a lasting and dramatic impact mm. on history. And of course, the, the one person that stands head and shoulders above all else, uh, the, the towering inferno, the colossus, would be Jesus Christ. He has no peers and he has no rivals. Uh, his name is above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What a glorious day that's going to be. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jesus stands out unique, you know. Uh, so uh, if you think about it, he's unique in all the world, you know. Hundreds of millions, even billions of people are studying his word. The things he said 2,000 years ago are still being studied by billions of people around the world. That is making an impact, amen, <laughs> like no other. So uh, Jesus was uh, a really impactful person in history. We need to preach and teach and tell others about Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And everyone said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So uh, Jesus is the one and only God-man. God and human flesh. You know, Jesus Christ divides time and history. We're living in 2023 AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And so Jesus not only is the, the center of history, the center of time, he is the center of everything. So we were talking about America, and the reason that we sometimes mention America is that America has been the bastion of Christianity in the West. It's been the, the leading contender uh, uh, for Christianity, sent out more missionaries uh, than, than any other country. It's, it's been very significant. Um, but, you know, uh, there, there's been a tremendous change that's taking place, as Dutch referred to uh, it, it, uh, in what David was sharing. But uh, one of the latest surveys shocked me to the core. Uh, the latest survey in America says that 52% of American surveys, that is the majority, right? 52% of America's survey said Jesus is a great man, but not God. The vast majority of Americans are now saying that Jesus is not God. Worse still than that is the Bible Belt. Uh, and uh, they say one in three evangelicals. Um, now, uh, who make up the heart of the Bible Belt and is the foundation of Christianity in America, one in three of those believe that Jesus is not God. That is hugely troubling. Hugely troubling. And so, we, we're seeing that, that, that people's faith... Remember Jesus said, will I find faith on the earth? 
Well, if you look at these trends, I mean, when I was in, in seminary back in the 80s, it was like 75 or not, between 90 and 75 percent were the worst figures and for belief in the deity of Jesus. And so you can see this rapid decline that's taking place. And uh, I kind of wondered how that happened, you know. And I was thinking about Dan Brown, the apostates, and the other atheists have caused tremendous damage uh, in the world with their uh, claims that Jesus is not God and, and uh, all the other ridiculous claims that he had. One of the claims that Dan Brown makes is that uh, he says that uh, the, the belief in Jesus being God was created by the church. You've heard that. Um, the, the, the church created Jesus as God and it was actually established in, in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. That's rubbish, of course, and I'm going to show you why uh, in a moment. But uh, how could this, um, this absolute dire situation arise? And I was thinking about that and I was saying, Lord, why is this apostasy taking place? Um, you know, and it's because I believe one of the fundamental reasons is that there's a dearth of teaching on fundamental doctrines. Can you say amen? You know, we, we, we say that we believe, but can you defend what you believe? And that's the difference between a convert and a disciple. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Matthias in, in the Greek, a learned one. You teachers in, in the congregation know that you can teach people, but it doesn't mean to say that they've learned. Amen, teachers? Amen. Amen. No, not in the air. Yeah. Yeah. So you, it's not about saying, hey, I, I know. It's not enough to say, as a Christian, I believe that. What you know, you must be able to defend. You must be able to stand up. Uh, because in the days that we're living, we're living in, in times of rank apostasy. We're living in times where every Christian doctrine is being challenged. And so the church needs to understand not only what they believe, but how to defend it. So this morning, I, I, I want to give you a, a, a question just for you. I know that you believe Jesus is God. But if I was a Muslim and I came up to you this morning and said, Jesus is a great man. He's a, you know, he's a prophet. But he's not God. Could you take down uh, his argument? You see, that's the difference between a convert and a disciple. We must be able to actually articulate the things that we believe. It's very important. And the truth is, we don't need to be ashamed of the things that we believe. There's ample, even abundant evidence to back the claims of Christianity. Amen? So... The church didn't just wake up suddenly one morning, 300 years after Jesus, and say, hey, I think we need a new promotion. Let's make Jesus God, as Dan Brown claims, and, and, and as the Council of Nicaea in 325 say, hey, let, we, we acknowledge that Jesus is God. That's one of his claims. It's absolute rubbish. Um, but we'll have a look at it. You know, This, this is one um, writing, that just one man's writing, uh, that, that actually debunks that whole theory. Uh, and he wrote uh, this guy by the name of Melito uh, of Sardis, uh, who died in 180 AD. So if you think about that, that's about 150 years, roughly speaking, before the Council of Nicaea in 380 AD. And this is what he wrote. Thou slewest the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, and he was lifted up upon the tree, and an inscription was fixed above to show who he was that was slain. And who was this? That which we shall not say is too shocking to hear. And that which we shall say is very dreadful. 
Nevertheless, hearken and tremble. It was he because of whom the earth quaked. He hung the earth in space, was himself hanged up. He that fixed the heavens was fixed with nails. He that bore up the earth was borne up on a tree. The Lord of all was subject to ignominy. In a naked body, God was put to death, the King of Israel. The Lord was exposed with naked body. He was not deemed worthy even of a covering. And in order that he might not be seen, the luminaries, the sun, the moon, and the stars turned away, and the day became darkened because they slew God who hung naked on the tree. And he goes on to say further on, uh, it's, it's quite long, so I'm editing. He says, uh, This is he who made the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, together with the Father, fashioned man, who announced by means of the law and the prophets, who put on bodily form in the virgin, who was hanged upon the tree and who was buried in the earth, who rose from the place of the dead and ascended to the height of him, and who sitteth at the right hand Amen. of the Father. A hundred and fifty years before the, 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 uh, Dan Brown's claim that Jesus uh, was made God at that council. We have clear evidence. If this was the only evidence, it would be sufficient to substantiate the fact that the church believed that Jesus was God. Can you say amen? amen. So this destroys the Da Vinci Code. Dan Brand's claims are just not true. they sensational claims to be sure, but they're rubbish and easily refuted by those in the know. Many of the early church fathers and the Bible declare that Jesus is God. Now, the church fathers, who were they? These, the church fathers uh, were like, people like Clemens, Ignatius, Polycarp, and Papias, and uh, Papias, I should say, and uh, many, many others. And these were the men that took over from the 12 uh, original disciples. And in fact, uh, Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, uh, at, at the church in Smyrna, and he was discipled personally uh, by the apostle John, as was Ignatius. And many of the other uh, church fathers were discipled by the original disciples. And so, there is a historic link that follows Christianity. The beautiful thing about Christianity is it is a historic religion. You can check and verify everything. And in fact, the early church fathers, we know what they taught, we know what they claimed, because we have a 38-volume set of writing covering the first 800 years of church history, declaring that Jesus is God. Hallelujah. And so we need to know these things if, we, if we're going to refute the Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and all the others that come around and, and try and challenge the fact that Jesus is God. So there's evidence to prove that the early church believed that God. This was not made up by the Council of Nicaea. This was a core doctrine of the faith from the beginning. And we need to know that so that we can defend that. Hallelujah. So what does the Bible say about Jesus? Many people, when they read the Bible, they, they criticize Jesus. They say, well, the, the big problem I have with Jesus being God is that he never claimed to be God. You ever heard that claim? Now, he's, he never claimed to be God. Well, that's, that's for the ignorant and uninformed. We're going to go and look at, look at some of those things, and we'll see how that actually uh, panned out. You see, that, that Jesus never claimed to be God in those exact words. That's true. But in oh so many different ways, 
Jesus declared that he was the Son of God in ways that the Jewish people would understand. Their cultural context is really important. And we're going to look at a couple of things. Um, but the, the, the one I want to start with this morning is a, a very well-known New Testament story. You remember how uh, Jesus was walking on the water? Uh, it, it, it's, that's very well known. Uh, he, he, Jesus had sent the disciples on ahead. Uh, and and uh, they, it was the middle of the night and they're rowing the boat and the, the storm has arisen. And that it's very difficult for them. And Jesus starts walking on the water. And I can imagine what those, those disciples thought. Man, what's, this is a ghost. This is some kind of apparition. I mean, this is strange stuff, is it not? You know, how would you have reacted if you were one of the disciples in the boat? How's he doing that? What is that? You know, it's kind of quite freaky stuff. And so we need to understand that uh, <laughs> the, in, in Mark chapter 6, I'm just going to read that, that the basis of that story in verse 49, Mark 6, 49. And when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Never before had anybody walked on water. How do you process that? This is amazing. This is incredible. Stunning. How do you get that into your mind? How do you, it's, it's illogical. But it happened. It happened. You know, the Bible says that, that the disciples were exceedingly astounded beyond measure. I think it, it, you know, all those superlatives really say that they were absolutely gobsmacked in our vernacular today. They were stunned. You know, how can this be? How could Jesus walk upon the water? Okay, nobody had ever done that before. But more than that, every Jew knew the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Old Testament. Man, they learned to, to read from the Tanakh. Uh, they, they learned to, to write forming the Tanakh. They memorized the Tanakh. The Tanakh was an integral part of everything that the Jewish people did. When they went to uh, the, the synagogue, what did they hear? The Tanakh. It was a fundamental part, and they knew it well. It was really uh, built into the, the, every fabric of every Jew. So when Job is actually speaking about God, they knew it and understood it. Let me just read uh, Job 9, 4 through 8. And it's speaking about God. He says this, His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves the mountains without their knowledge. It overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes the pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals with the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and, listen, treads on the waves of the sea. <laughs> Jesus stunned the disciples because he walked on the water. But much more deeper than that was their, their fundamental understanding that, hey, Jesus is not just claiming to be God. He's demonstrating that he is God. He's walking on the... This is a, a, a sign of omnipotence. This is a, a, a prophetic scripture of Job being fulfilled. 
This is the signature of God to who He is. Yes. Jesus is saying, I am God, and this is what I'm doing. So, it's why the disciples were so utterly stunned and overwhelmed. Because they're starting to understand who Jesus Christ really is. And so, they're beginning to understand His claim. So, my question to you is, when Jehovah's Witness, Mormons or Muslims, uh, tell you that Jesus is not God, He's a great prophet, a you know, wonderful man, a moral teacher, and all the rest of it, um, can you prove them wrong? If they come to you and draw now, I, I have a Jehovah's Witness waiting outside. Just, just in a second, you saw me speak out. No, no I didn't. <laughs> Don't worry. But, you know, if you were to actually defend, if I call on you now to be able to defend the fact that Jesus was God, what evidence would you put forward to prove that Jesus is God? If you are a little bit stuck as to thinking, well, what would I say? Then this message is just for you, okay? So take notes and understand how we're going to go through this uh, so that you can defend Christ. Not that he, he needs our defense, but we need to make his name glorious. We need to make his name known, amen? That he's not just a prophet and teacher, that he is truly God in the flesh. So let me give you an example um, where, where Jesus claimed to be God. In John chapter 10 and verse 22 through 27. And it was at the Feast of Dedication. That's the, the Feast of Hanukkah. Happens at Christmas time, uh, our time. So uh, in, in Jerusalem, it's rather cold and uh, at that time of the year. And uh, verse 23 says, And Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Have you ever wanted Jesus to answer a straight question with a straight answer? This was their frustration. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about half the time. So tell us plainly. What did Jesus say? I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And in verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Hallelujah. You know, that, that Greek word, the root of that word one uh, is, is the Greek word hen, H-E-N. And it actually means to be one in essence and one in nature. And so what Jesus is saying is, I and the Father are essentially hen, one and the same. And the Jews were horrified at this. What did they do? They wanted to stone him. And so they were really upset because they, they understood that he was claiming to be uh, the same as God. So the Jews uh, wanted to kill him. And so in, in verse 32, Jesus said this, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? He said, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, this, the Jews understood the context. They understood what was happening. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. So, you know, you know what? Because the Jews were, were, were a very religious people, they understood it. And even today, when you go to a, a Jewish synagogue, they will say the Shema. 
And, and that's the Lord's Prayer, uh, the, for, for them, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's a little bit different in the New Testament. But the Shema uh, is this, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And it's Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God is Lord, the Lord is one. So, the Lord is one. So when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, they understood, they heard the Shema. I said, this man is clearly, demonstrably, declaring to be God. <coughs> so they wanted to kill him. Here he is, Jesus walking on the water, claiming to be one with the Father. In other places, Jesus said, I am the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. These claims are, are, are quite clear in the, the original language. And so, uh, we, clearly we see that Jesus did claim that he was God. Another example of this you can find in John 8, if you flip back in your Bibles, uh, they were examining Jesus, and in John 8, chapter 54, and going through 59, we read these words. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I do not I would be a liar like you. Well, that's not politically correct, Jesus. <laughs> I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. But the Jews looked at him and said, but you're not yet 50 years old. And hey, man, Abraham lived 2,000 years ago and you say you saw Abraham? Jesus said yes. He said, verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And immediately the Jews wanted to stone him. They wanted to, uh, to get rid of him. Because why? Jesus claimed that he was the great I am, the eternal, pre-existent, immortal one. This was a claim of divinity. This was a claim of immortality. <coughs> Excuse me, my throat. <coughs> <coughs> Jesus used the same words that God did when speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Remember, God told Moses, go back to Egypt and set my people free. And Moses said, okay, God, but, uh, you know, I I'm happy to do that. But who shall I say sent to me? Who are you? What is your name? And God replies in, in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is to say, uh, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And so, uh, the very name of Jesus, this is kind of interesting when you, when you look at the, the, the etymology of these words, the history of these words, you, you find something very interesting. Uh, the, the very name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, is derived from the verb meaning I am. Both Jehovah and Yahweh are transliterations of the Tetragrammaton, which, which is the four letters that make up the name of God, the Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh, uh, that make up the sacred name of God. And so we, when you read in the rabbinic literatures, when they come across uh, the, the, the Yud-Heh-Vav-Heh, uh, they, they are so respectful and so want to uh, honor the, the Lord that they won't even say, uh, this is Jehovah, this is Yahweh. Instead, they, they substitute that for the, for the word Hashem. And Hashem literally means the name. 
So they won't even say it. They refer to God as the name, the Holy One. It's a, a, a way of reverencing the Lord. So Jesus is, is using the same language here um, and, and that God used to introduce Moses to himself. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying quite clearly, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I am the eternal, pre-existent, immortal, great I am. You see very clearly in the context. <coughs> I do apologize. <sighs> Praise God. Very clearly, Jesus is claiming in, in, in the cultural context of, of Israel that he was God Almighty. Another example that you could cite to a Muslim or JW or whoever you like would be this, Mark chapter 2. Remember, Jesus is in Capernaum. He's having a revival. The crowds are coming. There's no place to park your donkey. I mean, it's just packed, you know. And the, the four friends come carrying a man who's a paralytic and they can't get to Jesus. You remember the story? Uh, they went up on the roof. They made a hole in the roof and they, they dropped uh, their friend through. We can read about it in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa! Now some of the teachers of the law who were sitting there were thinking to themselves, Why did this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why could Jesus say that? Because he was the eternal sacrifice. He was, he was the atonement that, that had come. And so he was able to forgive sins. But they understood that only God could forgive sins. God alone cleanses us from our sins. That's his prerogative. That's God's domain. And here Jesus is stepping into that and he's saying, your sins are forgiven. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the Jews in general knew Psalm 103 Verses 1 through, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and healeth all thy diseases. And so that, that word again, Lord, every time you see it capitalized in your Bible is the Greek Tetrach Martin, the Yudhe Bavhe, and the sacred name of God, and that's translated many times, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. Jesus is saying this. So uh, the Lord Jesus is making the claim to be God within a framework that the Jews could understand. So if you jump down to, to verses 7 and 8, it says, Why did this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? I love this. Jesus is demonstrating that he's God, that he can forgive sins, that he can heal the sick. And now he's demonstrating omniscience and the knowledge of God. He's like, I know what you're thinking. You know, they, they, they're a little bit shocked. He said, you know, why are you thinking these things? He's demonstrating omniscience. Uh, it's, it's really very obvious that uh, Jesus said, if you don't believe me, don't believe my words, believe because of the miracles that you see. You see, the truth is, anybody can say, I forgive you of your sins. It's easy to vocalize that. But where's the authority? Where's the power behind that statement? 
<coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus says to the man who's sick, he says, take up your bed and walk. And the guy does. And the people go crazy. They say, we've never seen it like this. Revival's come to the nation. Praise God. And it was Jesus performed the miracle in order to show them that he had the authority to, uh, to uh, forgive sins, that he really was God. This is what he is saying. <coughs> Verse 10 and through 12, it says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. That you may know that the Son of Man. So the miracle was to show very clearly that they kept on asking many times after this, Who's the Son of Man? Who's the Son of Man? But Jesus said that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And who forgives sins? God alone. Can you say amen? You see, the miracle proves that he can forgive sins. I can say I can forgive your sins, but there are no authority to raise you up unless God does a supernatural work. You see, that was an evidence that Jesus really is God. And that's what we can say to the Jehovah's Witnesses and all others. But it kind of it raises an interesting question. Uh, what was the favorite name that Jesus uh, gave to himself when, when he was speaking to the people? He said, the Son of Man. That was one of his favorite titles. If you look through the encounter times that Jesus used it, 87 times in the New Testament alone, Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man. And I think sometimes we, we, we like the, the, the guys that were following Jesus, just tell us plainly, Jesus, who, who is the Son of Man? We, we'd really like to know who the Son of Man is. Well, the Old Testament actually tells us. Uh, Dr. Nabil actually has some very interesting uh, thoughts on this uh, that I'll share. Uh, so who is the Son of Man? In fact, uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, there are predominantly two people that are called the Son of Man. It's mentioned in other places, but predominantly uh, the two people of note are found in Exodus, <laughs> Ezekiel, I should say, and uh, in, uh, in Daniel. And so we'll have a look at those and just see how they go. But I want you to understand that the, the, the Son of Man mentioned in Ezekiel is different to the Son of Man in Daniel. Okay? So they're two different people. We're talking about the, uh, of note. In Ezekiel, um, the, the Son of Man is referring to Ezekiel himself. And it's a lowly human figure. But when God says to Ezekiel, Son of Man, go and do this. Or son of man, go and do that. It's, it's emphasizing uh, Ezekiel's humanity, that he's just merely flesh and blood. And so uh, it's, very, it, it's very obvious uh, that this, this person in, mentioned, the son of man in Ezekiel, is just an ordinary man, flesh and blood. But the son of man in the book of Daniel is different. He's glorious. The son of man comes on the clouds of heaven. Think about that just for a second. Who, uh, who comes on the clouds of heaven? Okay. What does that actually mean? The only one that comes on the clouds of heaven is a divine being. Can you say amen? amen. It's a divine being. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm out of practice. That's what it says. <laughs> the pipes have got rusted. <laughs> okay. So here in the book of Daniel, you have one like the Son of Man who comes with the clouds of heaven. This is a very different picture to the Son of Man portrayed in Ezekiel. 
Now, I want you to hold that thought. We're going to come back to it, okay? But uh, when you go through the book of Mark, you find a very interesting uh, sort of scenario taking place. Uh, that uh, Jesus is talking, and every time that he casts out demons, we say, Oh, we know who thou art. What does Jesus say to him? Keep quiet, don't speak. Uh, when when uh, the disciples suddenly uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration recognize that Jesus is going to, uh, don't speak, don't, don't, don't tell it. Uh, until after my resurrection. And over and over again, Jesus says, don't tell who I am, just keep it quiet. And the book of Mark actually deals with this. And there's a climax that comes uh, in, in the book of Mark, around, around chapter 14, when the high priest is dealing with Jesus. And uh, he demands to know who Jesus is, like the rest of Israel. He says, you know, who are you? Stop mucking around. Tell us plainly. You know, who are you? And then Mark 14, verses 61 and 62, it says this, But Jesus remained silent and paid no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And now comes the great revelation. Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Did you get it? The Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven. Which Son of Man is this? Is it the Son of Man in Ezekiel, or is it the Son of Man in Daniel? The Son of Man in Daniel, right? Speaking about Him coming on the clouds. So let's look a little bit closer in context uh, to, to uh, this Jesus as the Son of Man. I hope you can remember this because at the end, I've actually got a handout. You're going to have some papers. You're going to be debating oh, yeah. on the test. <laughs> no, just joking. But I really hope you're taking note, note and can then defend Jesus. Okay. So let's look closer at this uh, Son of Man found in Jan Daniel chapter 7 and verses uh, 13 through 14. <clears throat> this is what Daniel actually says. <clears throat> I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, who's that? That's Jesus, came with the clouds of heaven. Remember, that's a picture of the divine being, who comes with the clouds of heaven, and he comes to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? It's our Heavenly Father. And so, don't tell me that there's no pre-shadowing of, 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 of the, the Trinity in the Old Testament. The Unitarians have a real problem with this, because they say God is one. Here in, in Daniel, we're clearly seeing that there's a divine being coming on the clouds of heaven. And we'll see that this is a picture of God himself. <coughs> so, uh, verse 13, I saw in the night vision, and behold, this one like the Son of Man, Jesus came on the clouds of heaven, picture of divinity, uh, and comes to the ancient of days, God the Father, and they brought him near before him. So you have the Son of Man, Jesus, okay, being brought before the ancient of days, God the Father. Verse 14, and there was given to him glory and a kingdom. This, this person is actually a king, that all people, nations, and languages shall serve him. Stop. You need to understand that that's a very significant word. Okay, they shall serve. Who is served in heaven? Who receives service in heaven? God alone. Amen? The rest of us are there to serve God. So, he says that, 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 that people, all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. That word serve 
is interesting because it's the Chaldean word pilach, and pilach actually means to worship. To worship. And here you've got a picture of Jesus coming before the ancient of days, and all people and all nations come and worship him. This is one of the, the clearest pictures of Jesus' divinity out there. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture in the Old Testament. The Son of Man is no less Jesus Christ, God Almighty, that is worshipped and praised in heaven. Atheists like Dan Brown claim that the church invented the deity of Jesus, just don't know their Bibles. Okay? Let's look at a couple of verses that will reinforce what, what I'm saying. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. This is making a lot of noise. Second Peter 1 1. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you want to prove to a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, this is a great verse to use. That Jesus is our God and Savior, have received faith as precious as ours. Uh, okay. Even clearer is the next verse. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. 1 John 5 and verse 20 says this. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one true God. Okay, rest my case. If you've got somebody who stubbornly wants to argue, give them, give them Hebrews 1.8. This is a beautiful verse. It's incontestable. Hebrews 1.8. But about the Son. So there's no argument who we're talking about, right? This is about Jesus. About the Son, he says, Your throne, O God! Whoa! He's calling the Son, God, who's going to be sitting on the throne. Why? Because he's been given the kingdom. That all nations should come and worship him. About the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your righteousness will be a scepter of your kingdom. We could look at so many other verses, Colossians 1, 16, Colossians 2, 9, and yeah, Philippians 2, 5, and 6. You could go on and on. They're all declarations that Jesus is the Son of God. But we, we're looking to try and prove uh, that uh, Jesus is God. John chapter 10, verses 37 through 38. says, Jesus was saying, do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. That's Jesus' own criteria. He says, but if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand. What was the reason of the miracles? That they may know and understand. What? That they may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Look, Jesus demonstrated He was Lord over all creation. Can you say Amen? What is the evidence that you can offer that? Well, He turned water and wine. What's that mean? He overturned the laws of chemistry. He walked on water, overcoming the laws of physics and gravity. <coughs> he calmed the storm, superseding the laws of meteorology. He healed the sick, cleansed the leper, made the lame to walk and the blind to see, overturning the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, or the law of decay. So Jesus healed using unconventional medicine. He raised the dead. What's all this doing? It's a demonstration of His omnipotence. This is the power of God, raising the dead, driving out demons. 
Jesus predicted the fall of many cities, including Jerusalem. This is a picture of his omniscience, supernatural knowledge. No mere mortal could do the things that Jesus did. This is proof of his divinity. Can you say amen? Amen. And if all that doesn't persuade you, I've saved the best till last. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, because the, we, you get some kind of resistant people uh, who don't really want to believe. Ever heard of a disciple by the name of St. Thomas? He was one of those. Okay. The most outstanding miracle, the absolute deny, undeniable proof that Jesus is divine is that he predicted not only his death, but that he would rise again on the third day. And even though Thomas, who was a disciple and had seen all the miracles that Jesus had done, the walking in water and healing the sick and everything, he'd seen it all. But he'd also seen Jesus crucified. He saw him buried. And that was the end as far as Thomas was concerned. And when, when the disciples said, hey, we've seen the Lord, his attitude, you're not putting that one on me, mate. I saw him crucified. I saw him buried. He's, he's dead. And, and so he said, unless I can put my fingers in the nail print of his hands, unless I can thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. This guy is stubborn. You pick it up in John 20, verses 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were with him, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them. Just suddenly he materialized right in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, Come here, reach hither thy finger into my hands. Thrust your hand into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. What did Thomas say? Oh, my Lord and my Thomas had seen Jesus crucified and buried, but now he was standing before him in a resurrected, glorified body that comes straight through the walls, makes no difference. And he says, my Lord and my God. <clears throat> See, Jesus is not only claimed, but demonstrated the fact that he was God, right from the very beginning of his ministry. And that's what we can use when people challenge the, 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 the divinity of Jesus. We can give them this evidence. And I tell you folks, we really need to do that. We really need to be able to do this because people don't want to believe. The, the vast majority are like Dr. Thomas. You've got to convince them because they don't want to believe. But if you share these things, then, uh, then we'll be able to see uh, people uh, have that percentage of one in three evangelicals uh, arise so that we actually have uh, more believing Christians uh, around the world. Shall we just bow our heads in a word of prayer? Lord, I just pray right now, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to remember, help us to be able to defend Jesus, help us to defend his divinity. Lord, failure to do this is really to make light of the cross. Failure to do this Lord, if we can't explain that our, our Christ is the Savior, that He is God Almighty, Lord, it undermines the value of the cross. So help us, Lord, not just to, to be a, a convert, but help us to be a Matthias, 
a disciple, a taught one, a disciplined one, one who has learned to be able to defend the faith. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us and Lord, just have your hand upon us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.